Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, that was good. Thank you. <laughs> My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Blue Oaks. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, would love to meet you after. Uh, as Aaron said, if, if it's your first time here, man, we are so excited you're here with us. If you're watching online, welcome. If you're just coming back because you've been away for a few weeks or so, uh, we have been the last two weeks in a series that we are calling All In. And All In is about commitment, how to be commitment-making, commitment-keeping, commitment-honoring people. And today we're going to talk about that uh, in the context of relationships. Now, hold on, because I know some of you are already thinking like, oh, it's a relationship talk. This is for married people, or this is for dating people. This is not exclusively about like romantic relationships. And I don't know if thought went into planning this on Valentine's weekend or not. I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping some of you aren't like all in the doghouse still because you totally blew it on Friday or something like that. But it's not just about romantic or marital relationships. You see, we have all kinds of relationships in our lives. There are romantic relationships, but there are also family relationships. There are friendships that we have that are deep, that are relationships that that go on for years and years and years. We have work relationships, people that we work with and bosses and employees and all this kind of stuff. Life is full of relationships. And we want to look at what does that even mean to be all in relationally? How does that even play out in our lives? And relationships, they're interesting because they can be the cause of some of the, the greatest joys or the greatest pains in life, the types of relationships that we have. Some of the greatest pain we can experience, maybe some of you can relate with, maybe it's, it's the parent that you have or had. And, and growing up, There was not love there. There wasn't acceptance there. There was never encouragement there. And and you never were able to to get out of that relationship what you would have hoped for as a child. Well, maybe for some, it's, it's, you know, the realization that, that the spouse you have, the commitment to you stopped when the business trip started. For others, maybe it's the friendship that you had that you thought you guys were deep and, you know, nothing's ever going to separate us and then... Suddenly, you're ghosted. You don't even know what happened to this person. Where did they even go? The pain of relationships can sometimes run very deep. And yet, the joys of those relationships can sometimes be the deepest we experience in life through fellowship, relationship with another person. It's interesting, when you go back to the very beginning of the story of God creating humanity, creating the world, we get this picture and and this account of God creates something, and it's good, he says. And God creates something, and it's good, he says. God creates something, and it's good, he says. And then he creates man. He forms Adam out of like the dust of the ground, and he breathes life into him. And what does God say? Oh, this isn't good. Basically, he says, man, it is not good that this guy's all by himself here. We've got all this other creation here, but it's not good that he's by himself. Now, why? 
Because we were created in the image of God, a God who is triune, a God, you know, it's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, coexistent, co-eternal, you know, this covenant-keeping God. And we were created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. We were created to be in community with other people. And God looks at man, at Adam, and goes, oh, good but not good. You need somebody with you. And so he created a companion for Adam. Because we were intended to be in fellowship, in relationship with other people. The 17th century uh, poet John Donne said this, very famous line, you're probably all familiar with it, that no man is an island entire of itself. No man is an island entire of itself. And the idea is that when we are isolated, when either we've removed ourselves or we don't have relationship with others in our lives, it's unhealthy. We are not going to thrive. And we've seen this over the, the last number of years, over the last couple of decades, it's being developed more and more. It's being referred to as the epidemic of loneliness. The epidemic of loneliness. And here's how loneliness is being defined. Loneliness is being defined as not a, a lack of relationships per se, but a lack of meaningful relationships. A lack of meaningful relationships where somebody feels known by somebody else. One study was done in this epidemic of loneliness, and a couple of the stats that came out of that, 50% of the people said they don't have meaningful relationships in their lives. 50% of people. They just feel like, I'm here by myself, and that's it. 41% said that a TV or a pet was their main source of company. Now, that's just scary and sad. 41%. 13% said they had zero, zero meaningful relationships in their lives. And this loneliness that's consuming people, they've even seen now, leads to health issues, high blood pressure, heart attack, heart disease, Alzheimer's, all sorts of physical conditions because people lack meaningful relationship with somebody else in their life. Now, on top of that, relationships today just look completely different than relationships in the past, don't they? Because more and more people are connecting digitally. Friendships are found where nowadays? They're found on Facebook, right? I looked this morning out of curiosity. I have 1,309 friends. Now, for some of you, you're probably thinking, that's it? Like, you really need to get out more, which is true, but that's for another day. 1,309 friends. Now, I guarantee you, I probably know like 50 of those people. The rest of them, I have no idea who they are. They just clutter up my feed every day. But that's how we define friendships now. I was uh, years and years and years ago at a church in a room very much like this, and we were setting up one morning, and somebody you know, on one side of the stage throws out this person's name, and somebody on the other side of the stage literally says this, wait, I think I know them. We're friends on Facebook. I was like, wait, 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 how does that work? I think I know them. We're friends on Facebook. And yet relationships have become this digital, this, this realm of a digital domain where it's about the followers that we have. We're swiping left and right, trying to find relationship with people. And probably one of the weirdest things about today, I, I saw this on my social media feed once. Somebody literally described a relationship they had like this. We dated for eight Instagram posts. And that's how people are defining relationships nowadays. There are even, maybe some of you have heard about this, there are even relationship 
contracts. For friends, for couples, for relationship contracts. One of the most famous, and maybe you're familiar with this, one of the most famous is with Mark Zuckerberg and his wife Priscilla. They actually made this when they were dating. It carried into engagement, and, and it's said it goes into marriage now. And, and we don't know all the details of it, but a couple of details have, have slipped out. And this is part of the relational contract that they signed, that he agreed contractually to take her out at least once a week. He also agreed contractually to spend 100 minutes of alone time with her outside of his office or the apartment. Like, I'm not even going to give you 90 minutes, babe. I'm going to give you 140. That's, you know, I'm going to give you, well, you get the math. You know, I was not good at math. But 100 minutes. This is a relational contract. This is where relationships have come to today. Pastor and author Tim Keller said this, that we will never make it in life unless we choose, grow, and keep good relationships. We will never make it in life unless we choose, grow, and keep good relationships. You see, we can thrive financially without relationships. You can live a long life without relationships. You can build a reputation among your peers without relationships. You can have power and prestige without relationships. But we will not experience the fullness of life apart from relationships with other people. It's in our DNA. It's how we were designed and created. So I want to set sort of a starting point for us this morning that sort of sets the foundation of a relational attitude. And then we're going to look at a story, a story of two people that kind of plays this out for us. And we can see what it looks like to be all in relationally. And the, the, where I want to start with the foundation is, is with Jesus. Always a good place to start. Jesus was not immune to relational dynamics. Just because he was the son of God didn't mean he had to deal with people and deal with the, the relational dynamics that are found with other people. And we get this interesting story in Matthew chapter 20 where the, the Jesus and his disciples and some other people are with him and they're on their way towards Jerusalem. And we're told that a mom, a mom of two of the disciples, James and John, comes up to Jesus and, and he's like, hey, you know, I have a simple request I want to ask of you, Lord, just a simple request I want to give you. And this is great. It's a mom, right? Like what parent doesn't want something for their kids? And she's coming on behalf of her boys. And Jesus is like, well, what is it? What do you want? And this is what she asks him. She basically says, hey, when you take this whole thing over, like when you get on your throne, when you're the one in charge, when you're the one with all the power and authority and all that kind of stuff, just put my boys right next to you. They're good boys. Just let them be on your right. Let them be on your left. Let them be sitting right next to you. Now it's mom, you know, and the boys are like, hey, I want the best. What parent doesn't want the best? And the boys, one of the other accounts that were given of the life of Jesus, the Gospels, one of the other accounts says that the boys were actually a part of this. James and John are actually like, yeah, we're with you, mom. Let's, let's go do this. And Jesus looks at her and basically says, you don't even know what you're asking for. You literally don't even know what you're asking for and what it entails and what's ahead. You don't even know. And as this is going on, we're told in this story, the other 10 disciples, the, you know, the 12 total that walk with Jesus, the 10 others, they're looking at it going, I can't believe you guys would do this. I can't believe. And I don't think it's because there's this righteous indignation in them. I think this is their attitude. I can't believe you thought of asking that before I did. 
And maybe the mom is thinking, hey, I can sort of use my relationship, you know, with Jesus. My boys are related to Jesus. James and John were cousins of Jesus. Maybe I can use that relational connection to sort of get an advantage and get them in there. But what Jesus does, and what I want us to see is where he takes this conversation and how he sort of turns this conversation and he sets a relational foundation for us. And in Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 25, this is what it says. Jesus calls them together and he says, listen, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. He says, you see one relational dynamic. You know, there's, there's a work, there's a leadership, there's a governmental relationship that happens. He says, you've seen how some people kind of take this relational position where they're going to take advantage of other people. Not so with you, he says. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Now, all of us, and I mean, this is just an unfortunate reality of life. All of us have experienced or we know someone who has experienced the abuses of relationship. The abuses of one person trying to exert their authority or exert their power over another person. And for some of us, again, maybe that's when we were young as children and, you know, we lived under, you know, this, this threat of uh, absolute obedience or there will be instant punishment and there's no discussion and there's no debate. And, and if you're not doing what I say, boom, or even if you do what I say, it's not good enough. And, and this is the, the environment you lived under. Maybe for others, it's the supervisor who belittles everything you do at work, every project you work on. It's never right. It's never enough effort. And yet that same supervisor will use every accomplishment you make to further their own career. They're using you to advance themselves. Maybe it's the spouse who doesn't allow you a voice in the decision-making process in a relationship. You don't get to give your input. You don't get to, to, to have a vote in this. It's like, no, I make the law. It follows what I say. You don't have a voice. And Jesus says, you've seen how this happens. You've seen how this happens relationally. One person taking advantage of another, but not so with you. Jesus flips it around, and he said, greatness is found in how we relationally engage others. To be great you serve. You see, he says, in essence, you're interested in what you can get out of this. You want your sons to be in these positions of authority, but rather I'm telling you, I want you to be focused relationally on what you can give to other people. You want to be great, you serve. And notice how he wraps this up. He says in verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, Jesus didn't come with the intention of, I'm going to get what I can get while I can get it and as much as I can get from people, and then I'm out. And then I'll just go find another group and I'll say, do the same thing get what I can get while I can get it and as much as I can get, and then I'm out. That is not how Jesus came and relationally engaged with people, with humanity. He came as the Son of God and the Son of Man in humility, relationally understanding that uh, when we are all in, this is the foundation he sets, when we are all in relationally, relationships are not centered around what we get, but what we give.
Now, this is already throwing some of you. And I get it, because maybe it's not what you've experienced in life. Maybe for some of you, you're sitting here like, Scott, every relationship I have literally ever been in in my life with another person, it's been all about what they could get, not what they could give. And some of you are thinking, yeah, that's not how I operate relationally. I'm all about what I can get out of this. And it's already thrown you because this is very different. And yes, it is. Jesus is saying this is not about what you can get from others. It's about what we give to other people. And this has incredible impact on all the relationships of our life, whether it's marriage or family or friendship or how you relate to other people at work. So if that's the foundation, what does that look like? What does that look like in a relationship dynamic? Well, I want us to look at the relationship of two people, two guys from the, the Old Testament, from one of the historical books, the account of the people, you know, the people of Israel as they're journeying through and God's interaction with them. And we see the story of Jonathan and David, two guys who form a very unlikely friendship, a very unlikely relationship based off who they are and based off where they come from. And we find this story in the book of 1 Samuel. And to give you a little background, because where we're going to start, we sort of jump into the middle of it. Here's a background on these two guys. Jonathan is the first son of the king of Israel, King Saul. So he's the heir apparent. He's being groomed his entire life, growing up in the palace to take over the throne. He's being trained in all the kingly things, and he's a fighter, he's a warrior, he's, he's grown up, and, and now he's a, a man, and he's been out, and he's already fought battles for his dad. Like, this guy knows where his life is headed, he knows what his trajectory is, and he knows where he's going to end up. He's, he's going to be the throne one day. And then you have David. David grows up in kind of a no-name family. They're farmers in this little town of Bethlehem. And David's claim to fame is he's a shepherd. He gets to go out and hang with sheep. Like, how exciting is that? Like, David, we need you to go make sure the sheeps don't, like, drown in a puddle today. Okay? So okay, they're not the smartest now. So just go make sure, keep them safe. But we're told at one point the king of Israel, Saul, he starts battling depression and, and just this, this, these emotional fits that come on him. And so the people around him are like, hey, we need someone to play some music for him. So eventually they find David. David is brought in before the king, plays his harp, makes the king feel so much better. And a relationship starts to develop between these two. To where eventually David becomes King Saul's armor bearer. Now, an armor bearer is basically this. When we're going to go out to fight, like, you're holding my shield. Your one job is to make sure nothing kills me, okay? So, the fact that you're going to entrust somebody with your life, there's a bit of a bond of a relationship that's built there. Like, I'm going to trust this person. When we go out there, like, you got my back, right? Well, I've got your back and your front and your sides. Like, I'm your armor bearer. I got you. And so, their relationship is growing, well, eventually the Israelites find themselves at war with the, the Philistines. And the Philistines at this time, they have this super warrior, this guy named Goliath. And even if you've never been in church before, even if you would say, I'm not a Christ follower, you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath. And they're in this face-off, the Israelites with the Philistines, because the Philistines have this super warrior, Goliath. And Israel's just, they're afraid. And David gets sent uh, up to the battle line, basically taking snacks to his brothers, right? Because he's young. And in the story, all wrapped up, basically, as David sees this, he's like, somebody's got to do something. And with a sling and five stones, he takes out the super warrior, kills Goliath. 
And this brings us to where we're going to look at today because he comes back to the town and everyone says, David, you're awesome. And he ends up before the king, and this is so manly. We're told he ends up before the king holding the head of Goliath still. Like, hey, the king wants to see you. Well, I guess I'll just take this with me. You know, and just, The king's like, dude, awesome job. And this is where we see the relationship start with David and Jonathan. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, it says this. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became... Now stop right there for a second. After David, standing there with the head of Goliath, who had intimidated the entire nation of Israel and nobody went out to fight him, is standing before the king going, got him. Jonathan what? Now maybe you're thinking what I'm thinking Jonathan might have been thinking. What does this kid want? What is this kid after? Can I trust this kid? Like, I'm the son of the king. I'm the firstborn. I'm the heir. And this kid is now, what is he after? And some of you on, on the verge of relationship with somebody else, you find yourself at that spot where you're questioning what is, what is the motive here. And maybe it's because you've been burned in the past. And that pain is still real inside of you. And you feel this question of, I don't know if I can trust. I don't know. I... How did Jonathan react? How did Jonathan respond? Well, we're told after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one spirit with David. Now, this just reads like, boom, instant friendship. And this is just my conjecture because we don't read this anywhere in the story of 1 Samuel about these two, but this is just my conjecture. I believe Jonathan has probably been watching David for a while. I mean, you don't get this close to the king as David did without the king's son kind of having an idea of who you are. And so I believe Jonathan has been watching David for a little while, watching his character, watching who he is, how he had carried himself, the integrity that he had. And I believe Jonathan at this point sees David come back and he has this conversation with the dad. And because of the character and the actions that David had shown, Jonathan knows, I want this guy in my life. I want a relationship with this guy because of who he is, who I have watched him to be. And that all leads up to this moment where Jonathan and David become one in spirit. Bound together is the idea. Knit together. Now, here's a random question for you. Do we have any knitters in here? Any knitting with the needle? Okay, we had like two. It's a lost art, okay, granted. My daughter knitted for a while. We have a, a dear, sweet friend, my wife and I, down in San Diego named Lorraine. She's always knitting every time we go over to her house. Making these but knitting is an interesting thing because, you know, knitting, you have to use both your hands. And you use two needles, and you're doing this whole thing with the yarn where you're bobbing and weaving or whatever you call it, and you're looping. And, and, you know, when you watch somebody knitting, you're like, I have no idea what you're making right there. And then they just keep going. All of a sudden, boom, you know, sweater, Merry Christmas. It's just for you. <laughs> Never saw that one. But here's the thing about knitting. The whole thing about knitting is you have to have your hands and those needles working in unison together to create something that didn't exist beforehand. That's the idea of what Jonathan and David, the bond that they find here at this moment. That these two relationally bound themselves together. You see, relationships have a bond of 
unity. It's coming together to create something that's greater than the individual parts. And the idea is that it's a commitment to each other, that nothing is going to be able to, to tear yourself apart, that we feel this solidarity together. We are one in spirit. Paul talks about this in the New Testament when he says in Philippians chapter 2, make my joy complete, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit, being of one mind. It goes deeper than just commonalities. Yeah, we both like football. But it goes into purpose, a deep connection of purpose. So Jonathan and David become one in spirit. We also see in verse 1 that Jonathan loved David as himself. He loved him as himself, which simply means to, to love him as, as much as he loves his own life. There was a lawyer, a religious leader who came to Jesus once. And he said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Many of you have heard this before. Jesus says, well, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord and to love others, to love your neighbor as yourself. Man, you do those things, you're killing it. You're fulfilling, you're, you're, you're doing it. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That encouragement, that command is not just said once in the New Testament. It's not like Jesus just, okay, and let it pass. It's not just said twice. It's said 10 times in the New Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you know, if you're a teacher in here of any grade or if you're a parent of kids, don't you just love to repeat yourself? I mean, isn't that the highlight of your day when you repeat yourself? You're like, all right, you're not listening to me. I said this. You're not listening to me. I said this. I mean, it gets to a point where like, hey, if you're not going to listen to me, then we're, you know, especially if you're a parent, it's coming down. But if something is important, if you really want to communicate a message, it's worth repeating. And 10 times we're told to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. You see, relationships are built on love. It's a love that's unconditional. It's a love that's selfless. It's a love that, you know, the desire for the other is just as great, if not more, than the desire for ourselves. 1 John 4.11 says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another another. Because life is more than, than acquisition. Life is more than about the accomplishments that we have. Life is more about the achievements that we make. Life is about loving well and loving another in relationship. And love is not just, listen, love is not just limited to, to romantic or, or marital relationships. That's such a narrow understanding or narrow definition of love. And guys, it is not an assault on our masculinity to love another man and to have a bond with another man where our souls are knit together as one. And brother, I got you. I've got your back. My love for you is unconditional. Relationships are built on love. Well, we see more about David and Saul and uh, Jonathan. Verse 2, from that day, Saul kept David with him. He did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Now, covenant is not a word we really use a whole lot today. It's not a word we're really, it feels kind of archaic to us. 
But a covenant is a relationship sealed with this, this idea of a solemn agreement. It describes a deep level of commitment to another person. And the idea of a covenant, especially in, in this time that Jonathan and David are living in, was like, hey, we're making an agreement with each other where like there's, there's benefits and there's blessings when we're both, uh, you know, fulfilling it and honoring it. And then there's, man, there's penalties when we're not. And a covenant in the Old Testament looks a lot like this. One of the greatest examples we have of it is in Genesis uh, chapter 15 where, where God is making a covenant with Abraham. And how you would make a covenant, God tells him, hey, Abraham, I want you to grab these certain animals, and I I want you to cut them in half, and then you're going to place them on the ground. And then what they would do in making the covenant is they would walk through the middle of them, sort of making this pact together, like, hey, if I don't live up to my side of this, then let what happens to me be the same as what happened to these animals. There's penalties if a covenant is not lived up to. You see, relationships are secured by a covenant. And the covenant says, hey, I will be what I should be whether you are what you should be or not. I will be what I should be whether you are what you should be or not. And in making a covenant with another person, what's so beautiful is we have the example of the covenant God has made with us. You see, in Genesis 15, when God and Abraham are are doing the covenant thing, Abraham gets it all set up. And then I guess Abraham got really tired. It must be very taxing because we're told he falls asleep and he goes to sleep. And what happens next is totally uncharacteristic, totally unexpected for a covenant ceremony in the first century to happen and in this time to happen. Because what happens is God goes through the process alone, basically saying this, hey, I am taking on the responsibility of this covenant for both of us. I will take the responsibility for both of us. I will be responsible for the blessings. I will be responsible for the penalties. And the covenant God was making with Abraham, the covenant he is making with us, is that when sin entered the world and it broke the relationship between us and God, there is a penalty that has to be paid there. There's a shedding of blood that has to be paid there. And God is making a covenant saying, hey, I will honor the covenant. I will take care of the covenant. He gives us an example of what it means to be in covenant in relationship with each other. God has always been, God will always be faithful to his promises, even when we're not. And the New Testament is full of examples of how we can be in covenant with one another. And the command to love one another is just one of them. But to be all in relationally is to be in a covenant relationship with other people. I will be what I should be, whether you are what you should be or not. The final thing we see about the relationship in verse 4, we're told Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing. He gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Jonathan is literally giving the shirt off his own back to David. This is in front of the king. This is the heir to the throne taking like his, his, you know, his, his garments and saying, hey, David, I want to honor you this way. I want to give to you, David. You see, this was a costly relationship for Jonathan. Very costly. It cost him his place on the throne. 
He gave it away. It eventually would cost him his relationship with his father as he's put at odds with his own dad because of his commitment, his bond, his love for David. You see, relationships require sacrifice. All in relationships require sacrifice. Any relationship of any kind cannot survive long if one person in that relationship is all about them and not about the other. A relationship that where me is more important than you will always mean there is no us. If me is more important than you, there is no us. But relationships require sacrifice. And maybe that sacrifice is, is time. Maybe that sacrifice is resources. Maybe that sacrifice is emotional energy. Maybe that sacrifice is preferences. Whatever it may be, that's relationship. And sacrifice sounds hard. It sounds uncomfortable. And you know what? The truth is, it is. But here's another truth. Relationships were not designed for selfish people. Relationships were not designed for selfish people. So to be all in relationally means I'm willing to sacrifice for the sake of the relationship. John 15, 13 says, Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And here's what's, beauty, here's what's beautiful about this, because sacrifice for some it brings up memories and, and all sorts of hindrances and stuff. But listen, in an all-in relationship, mutual Mutual sacrifice will lead to mutual satisfaction. When you have two people sacrificing for each other, they will find mutual satisfaction in that relationship because they're committed to each other. So circle all the way back around to Jesus. Circle all the way back around to the conversation he's having with the mom and James and John and the other ten disciples. Do you remember how he wrapped up what he said? He said this, just as the son of man, you've seen this one way of doing relationships, not for you, and just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve, he also came to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus is not just telling us, hey, this is how I want you to be relationally with other people. These are the characteristics I want you to have in relationship with other people. Jesus demonstrated it for us by fulfilling the covenant God made. You see, Jesus came because of relationship. He came to reestablish the relationship between us and God that had been broken by sin. And he does that by fulfilling the covenant that God had made. And he demonstrates what this looks like for us to play out in serving others and being more interested in what we give relationally than what we get. Because here's the key. When we think of relationships, any kind of relationship in life, it's not a question of what relationships God wants for us. It's not a question of what kind of relationships. God wants the best relationships for you. He wants you to have the deepest friendships with other people. He wants you to have relationships that are fulfilling and life-giving to you. But it's not about the types of relationships God wants for us. All in relationally is about the type of relationship God wants from us. All in relationally is about the type of relational person we are with other people. Because relationships were never intended to be solely about what we get, but what we give to them. You see, we alone, of all of God's creation, all of God's creation, 
are the ones created in his image, are the ones created with, with the desire and the innate ability to be in relationship, covenant relationship with others. And the way we live that out as Christ followers ought to be a, an example to the rest of the world. Hey, there's something different. There's something different about when, when they engage with somebody, man, when, when they, the friendship is different, that marriage is different, that work relationship is different. Because we are all in relationally. So, imagine, imagine if your relationships, in all of your relationships, you did this. Imagine if you committed to these characteristics of serving over being served, of loving as you love your very own self, of being one in spirit, bonded together, knit knit together with another, of, of making a covenant to one another with somebody else. Hey, I am with you thick or thin, and to let go of selfishness in favor of sacrifice. Imagine what that would do, how it would radically change some of the relationships in your life. What relationship in your life is hurting because you've been treating it more as a convenience or a contract rather than a covenant with another person? And what if instead of self-interest, what if instead of fear because I don't know if I can trust you, what if instead of we leaned all in relationally? Well, here's what I believe. I believe if we did that, I believe if you do that, that it would and it will revolutionize you and every relationship in your life. Lean in. Lean in relationally. Let's pray. Lord, you know, we all come uh, from different experiences, perspectives. We come in with different baggage even around relationships, friendships, people who have hurt us, marriage relationships that just have not been what we imagined, pictured in our mind they would be, work relationships. Lord, our prayer as your people is that you would lead us to lean all in relationally, Lord. That when we see the character of somebody like Jonathan saw in David, that we would lean in in these principles, Lord. That we would, would act as serving others and, and bonding, binding ourselves together, making covenants, sacrificing for each other, loving well and loving deeply, Lord. That our relationships would be fulfilling, would be satisfying, would be life-giving, not because we've made them so, but because you are a part of them and you are guiding them. And you are leading us in them. And so, Lord, help us to lean in and to find you in the midst of our relationships. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In just a minute, the worship team is going to lead us in another song. And uh, the ushers will come down and we'll receive the tithes and offerings. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 845, 10, and 11.15. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today.